Here at Text Talks, we constantly strive to spotlight authentic music trailblazers, which is why we're excited to have Text Talks styled by Ray-Ban this summer, helping us in our pursuit of featuring artists who are not afraid to be their authentic selves. You've got the look. Now come and have some fun with us in the sun. Together, Text Talks and Ray-Ban are saying, if you've got a challenge for us, no matter what it is, you are on. You can't predict the light, but with Text Talks and Ray-Ban, you are always ready to capture it by living each day in the moment. You are on. Define your style at superbulous.com. Welcome to Tex Talks. I am Tex, and today I am talking to arguably South Africa's best rock vocalist. High praise, maybe, but once you've heard this man's unmistakable voice, it's rather difficult to forget it. Recently embarking on a solo career and releasing his debut album, The Great Valley Redemption, that's a 10-track exploration of the human condition, looking at an individual's growth, emotion, and mortality through a rock and roll lens. I'll be very surprised if he doesn't walk away with the Sama for Best Rock album in 2022. I am, of course, talking about Jacques Moulman. Jacques, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hello. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Sure. That's uh, quite it, an introduction. Wow. <laughs> um, that's that's what we like to do here on Text Talks. We like to make people feel welcome. It feels good. Thank you. Oh, no, it's only a pleasure. But I know I'm a little bit late, but I wanted to say congratulations on your engagement. Thank you. Yay. Thank you so much. How happy and blissfully loved up were the two of you now? Extremely, extremely so. It's But it's been like that for for the, the whole three years that we've been together. We have been through some some tough times, as, as every couple does, um, but uh, extremely happy. I'm, I'm probably happier than I've been for an extremely long time, I think, since my teenage years, to be honest. Oh, my God. That's so beautiful to hear, especially in the middle of... Uh, quite a tough time. I mean, the last year and a half hasn't necessarily been easy for a lot of people, yeah. especially for for musicians and yeah. creatives. So that's mm. really beautiful to hear that in the middle of all, or the in the middle of this shitstorm, mm. you and and your now fiance have managed to find you know a little slice of happiness. A very lucky. I consider myself extremely lucky. Yeah. Now you and I, we've known each other for a very long time. Yes, uh, we have. There are there are a lot of gigs. Mm. There's a lot of tequila between us. Mm-hmm. Tequila, it makes me happy. There's a lot of history there. A lot of shenanigans. A lot of shenanigans over the years, but you've also lived many musical lives. So I want you to take me back to when you were five years old, plunking away. On your grandmother's piano. Okay. What 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 do those memories evoke when you think about growing up? My my Omar, um, uh, my my father's mother had a um, one of the old farmhouses in Northcliffe on Northcliffe Corner, where the car park is behind the the shopping centre. That's where her her house was. She had a massive property there. 
and that's where I would spend, you know, um, weekends when, when she would babysit myself and my sister. And um, she had this thatch-roofed um, house, and there was a piano. She had the, everything was carpeted. It was it was very it was kind of like a farmhouse that had had then been renovated uh, to the 80s and 70s, you know. Um, and um, I can smell the thatch when I when I think of it. I used to play piano, and, and she would nap on the couch, so I'd, I'd kind of play her to sleep. Um, so yeah, that that's what it reminds me of. And, and every time I drive past uh, Northcliffe Corner, I remember that that house. It had this beautiful, massive garden. It had this huge palm tree in it, um, and she'd always have uh, Rottweilers. Um, and uh, yeah, that's 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 what it reminds me of. You've painted such a beautiful picture for me. I can't even remember what I did yesterday, let alone what I was doing when I was <laughs> oh, five. Oh, no, no. Don't ask me so, what I did yesterday. Years <laughs> ago, that's that's fine. I've, I've got, you know, a, a long-term memory, but uh, short-term, very, very shut. It's those uh, tequilas oh. you were talking about. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, they've really done some damage to us over the years. Goodness gracious. <laughs> but outside of music... You also found other ways to be creative uh, growing up in Joburg. You mm. were studying art as well as drama. Mm. Would you say that you've always had like a deep-seated need to express yourself creatively no matter what form of the arts that was through? Yeah, I I've, I've definitely would. Um, I've always been drawn to uh, expressing myself creatively. I've always been... Um, you know, intrigued from a very young age by anyone that was was creative or or doing something creative, and I think it was from growing up with with my my father, who was an, who's an artist, um, and had had a, his uh, his studio on our property in Auckland Park. He was a lecturer at UNISA, but there was always there were always artists around, and um, my mum. Um, was an actress and, and she actually she stopped her, her acting career um, when she she had myself and my sister um, which is unfortunate because she was very very good she started the the space theater with with Richard E. Grant I have of late wherefore I know not lost all my mirth and indeed it goes so heavily with my disposition that this goodly frame the earth seems to me a sterile promontory. Oh, wow. Um, and has stayed very close friends with him up, um, to this day. Um, but um, I think it was the, the people that, that my parents were friends with and the, the environment that, that I've, I grew up in that, that always pushed me to be very attracted to expressing oneself creatively. And, and I think I have a, a fairly competitive uh, spirit in that, in that sense, or, or had, I think I've, I've wisened up a little bit, but I've, I've always wanted to be the, the best, you know, in, in whatever field I was expressing myself in. What does your sister do? Out of interest, um, my sister studied um, fashion design at St Martin's in London, and she now works. She's been working on wardrobe in film in in Cape Town. So, yeah, very creative family. Like I can, it sounds. I mean, your dad, super famous artist. Your mother, an incredible actress. Mm. I can imagine that the circumstances that you grew up in were also a little bit eccentric at times. 
Wild, yeah, quite quite wild <laughs> to, be, to be honest. Um, but wonderful. We we had a house that was filled with art and books, um, and animals and crazy people, um, and it was a it was a t tumultuous little childhood that I had. It was uh, you know my my parents um, were a young couple, uh, you know. Uh, living in, in apartheid South Africa, um, but they were fairly liberal. Um, and, um, yeah, my, my father was, was, was quite a hooligan. If, if, if my behavior is anything to go by, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> knew me in my, my, my twenties, my dad, my dad was, was also quite, quite eccentric, quite, quite crazy, quite out there. Um, and there are two sides to that coin, um, you know, Definitely. But you also, you spent time jumping around quite a bit mm. because in 98, your family relocated to London. Right. Um, when, you know, when you were quite young, what, how was that experience for you? Because, you know, there's that old saying, like the three most traumatic things are a divorce, a death, mm. and then Maybe, when you move, yeah. when you move house. And, I mean, I've moved house quite a few times and I mm. just, like, I never, ever want to do it again. I know I'm going going to have to eventually. Mm. But moving country, like, mm. I, I couldn't even imagine how much of a mission that must be. So that was actually one of the most exciting times in my life. I, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've had many exciting times, but, but I remember that as being a very, very happy time in my life. I'd I want to talk about the lead up to that. Actually, we mm. we moved from Johannesburg. My father and my mother. My father got a job at Unibo in Mafeking in the northwest, and um, so we relocated there. And um, and then my parents were divorced. But what we went through there was was the coup that happened when the Mangopi regime was was kicked out of uh. government. They were just, you know, uh, lots of lots of shooting, lots of bombing. Um, very, very, very crazy time and, and pretty scary, actually. Like, very anxious time. And then my parents were divorced and we went to Joburg. And then we actually, we moved over to um, the Isle of Wight with my stepfather. Um, and we, yeah, I lived, we lived there for uh, about two years before moving to London. And I, I remember it being extremely exciting. Um, the weather was dreary, obviously, but, but uh, you know, south of England, it's, it's not as bad as it is in, in central, you know, in London. Um, but still, you know, it was, it was pretty rainy. I was very much into skateboarding um, and, and was kind of gunning to, towards a skateboarding career. That's really what I wanted mm -hmm. to do. <laughs> so... But um, I, I, I'd, I'd been studying drama at art school and on, on relocation to the Isle of Wight, I discovered that they had this amazing um, music department. And um, at the, the school I went to, which was the Medina School in, in Newport, and um, I just found myself, uh, myself um, stuck in, in that space. I, I just couldn't leave. I, I, I would just go in there and... and taught myself to use Cubase. I started learning to play the drums. That was my focal instrument. Um, 
But then the the music teacher, our, our head of department, picked up that I that that I had a voice and and immediately um, contacted my parents and said to them when they wanted to move to London that that he wanted to keep me on the Isle of Wight and and um, guide me in my music career. And of course, I was very young and naive, and I was like, "Who's this? Who's this dodgy old man?" Um, and and that was probably <laughs> and my parents were too. They they said, "You know, no, we're, we're moving to London with our family." Um, and uh, and that was probably a, a little bit of a missed opportunity because that that guy was you know he performed um, in Liverpool. He was from Liverpool. Um, he was pretty well connected. But you know these things happen. And um, and and then we moved to London, and I think the 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 energy there is is, is pretty incredible. Uh, the the arts are, are quite um, respected. It's the front line of of the you know. Of many industries, um, so exposure to that was was quite something. I think the first time that I went to London, if I remember correctly, was probably in two thousand and four or five, and mm. uh, I'm not sure what time or which years you were there, but there was something twenty odd years ago about London that you just mentioned, like that energy. Um, that what was happening in the art scene mm. then was super, super exciting. So I can imagine, you know, that moving to a city that's so rich in its cultural heritage, but also in its art scene must have been incredibly inspiring. And and very cosmopolitan. Um, mm. There's just uh, people from all different backgrounds um, and very clever, very bright and, and sharp and... Um, very competitive as well, but wonderful. So you like that? I love it. I do love it. I do think it's good. It's 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 something that that I've I've always liked. I love it because it it creates a, a, um, an atmosphere of of bettering. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. um, pushing. I like to push things out of the comfort zone, out of the box. Um, yeah. So you mentioned that you started out as a drummer, which I think is very interesting. I didn't know that. I, I, I like that for you. I like Jacques behind the kit. Um, <laughs> when, when is the first time that you pick up a guitar? Actually, my father um, had a robbery in Mafeking when we, we still lived there. And um, with the insurance, he got himself a guitar. And that's the first time I, I picked up the guitar and discovered that I just I loved it. Um, so I must have been about 10 years old then. And I I just sort of tinkled around on on that um, probably until age sort of on and off until age eighteen when I when I seriously started getting you know serious about it and, and writing on the guitar. Um, so yeah, I, I you know I I was always interested in in music, but I, I, there was a big part of me that that just fell in love with with hip hop. And I, I joined a, a crew there. I don't know if you know a band called The Bees. Have you ever heard? No, I don't. Okay, so they're Isle of Wight based, and they they used to the some of those guys used to run a, a hip hop um, crew called uh, Downhill, 
And I Shock, used to, if you're going to tell me that you I were a rapper. Rap. I used to rap. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I was a rapper. That's I, I thought that that's where I would go. I remember sitting my mom and my, my stepdad down and, and saying to them, like, I, I'm going to be a rapper, guys, and, <laughs> and this is it. Oh, my God. Yeah. What was your rap name? Um, I Oh, I had some terrible ones, um, Tekla. <laughs> I, I, at one stage, I was called La Technique. Oh, my God. That's pretty... That's quite something, hey. Um, um, okay, so let technique. <laughs> so yeah, that was a shocking choice of name. Um, yeah, and then I then I came back to South Africa. What had what had happened was I um, my parents moved to London. We we spent a year there, and I I really I just I missed the weather in South Africa first of all, but I also missed my dad. Um, mm. I hadn't seen him the, the whole time. I, I'd come back for a holiday actually in July in two thousand, and I just loved the weather. And he had this great girlfriend, and um, I just had this ball over here. And I thought I've got to come back because I just love it here, and so I did. And I, it was it was a bit of a culture shock because I moved from from the big you know the big smoke in London to Groot Marika in the northwest where my dad had relocated. So I had never heard of Groot Marika until we had a conversation about your new album, The Great Value Redemption. Yes, yeah. And you told me that it was inspired by and partially written in Marka. And I was like, well, where did you go? Where is this like very exotic sounding place? And you were like, no, it's in the Northwest. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? In the Northwest provinces. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's like two and a half hours outside of Johannesburg, which is, is pretty close. Um, but mm. you feel like you're, you're in a, another world altogether. Some parts of it are, are just so untouched and and so beautiful and so rich in in spirit it's it's an incredible incredible place do you know that when you google it it comes up listed as a hamlet not even a town yeah and apparently and i i didn't i didn't know this but a hamlet is a small group of houses yeah. or a small village in a country that normally doesn't have a church yeah. like thanks oxford english dictionary yeah wow <laughs> <clears throat> but i remember uh, and we'll get to Shadow Club just now. But I think actually the first time that we had a conversation about Khrid Marika was when we were talking about Big Green Mamba Dream. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. The the third Shadow Club album. Yeah. And you wrote it there and you, and you told me that you called it uh, Big Green Mamba Dream because you were, you, were, you were taking a walk and then all of a sudden there was a big green mamba in a tree so, <laughs> in Fred Marco. I took a few walks there, but I think the first two, I've, I left Joburg after um, I went through a divorce and I, I, I ran a fashion label with a friend of mine. And and then I just, I needed to get out of the city and go and regroup because I, I hadn't really done that. I'd gone from one thing straight into the next mm. and it was just craziness and I needed to get out. And I went to Marika and I, I took my life there with me, in, you know, all my possessions. And um, I, I moved into this amazing uh, little spot that my dad added onto the house. And um, 
I just, I needed it. I needed to go and find myself there. But I would go for these long walks and I discovered this this um, ancient ash heap. Uh, there's, a, there's a second little house on the property that's one of the, the, the old Mariko farmhouses. And um, uh, I, I've always loved sort of... Um, I've always been into archaeology and I've always loved uh, digging in the soil and finding pottery and bones and, and, and stuff like that. And I, I discovered this ash heap and I started finding these amazing old bottles from the 50s and 60s. And Oh, wow. Um, <clears throat> I had all these things in, in this hat. I'd taken this, this, this hat off and I was holding it and I was walking back up. And he's got a whole bunch of dogs there, all these ridgebacks, and they were sort of crowding around me. And... I was walking along and I, f I just felt this presence and it was near the mm. pond up at the house and I turned to, to my right and there was a three meter long black mamba going towards the pond and he was literally, he was about uh, half a meter away from me. And No, thank you. Black snake came and I walked away. He hadn't seen me and I hadn't seen him. And then when I realized he was there, he was lit literally gunning it for the, for the pond to go and, you know, mm. obviously get water or whatever it was um and we saw each other and he it, it's amazing they've got this they are extremely intelligent and he or she realized that that this was you know i wasn't a threat but that they needed to get away so he he did this amazing slow backward movement and and veered off towards the house and i had to they say the worst thing you can do is throw something at a mumbo because they'll come for you um mm -hmm. uh, if they feel threatened and i threw this i threw this brick next to it because i didn't want to hurt it um because it started uh veering for the window and then it went off down towards we've got these huge um blue gum trees and it went towards the leaves there and it, it shook itself and it was just gone just like disappeared into the leaves um and I've, it was just such an intense very scary experience but but a really amazing experience as well they're, they're like to see them in the wild they're incredible uh snakes now i understand why you know you take hurt marika in small doses mm -hmm. <laughs> 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 oh my god yeah. i just can't like yeah. i just think when i think of a mamba i think of the fact that its head is shaped like a coffin and that's really all i need to know i don't really need to know anything else <laughs> they say there they say um that um if you get bitten just go and sit under a tree just take your hat off sit down and and listen to the breeze because that's it oh my god that's, it's done <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. How did this podcast take such a like dark turn? Well, well this is the thing, you know, snake. the Mariko, the Mariko has two sides to it. One is extremely light and one is quite dark and destructive. I think a lot of people go there um, at, at a time in their life where they're searching um, for something and somehow they sense it in Mariko and they'll go there and it can be a very harsh environment so that you, you don't know what quite to expect and you can you can see people go there and their lives do a complete 180 mm. um but they can also and they and they'll they'll do really well or they'll go there and their lives will be torn to shreds <laughs> and then they'll disappear um i think move on to the next chapter i mean i make I, that in context that makes a lot of sense mm when you take into consideration the fact that your first solo album is called The Great Valley Redemption. I know that it was going to be called The Great 
Mariko, Mariko yeah. Redemption. Mm. Yeah, but then you guys changed it. Um, but, I mean, am I right in saying... Did you did, did you write the album in Mariko or was it just inspired by Mariko? No, it's, uh, it's mainly inspired, but, uh, but I, I wrote okay. a, a lot of the guitar parts um, I had recorded on my phone. Um, but I wrote a lot of it in Johannesburg. Uh, so yeah, I would I would say it's it's fifty fifty inspired and written in, in Mariko, and written for Mariko as well, because I th- I think going there and, and having the healing experience I had there I don't think any other there, there are a lot of beautiful places in the world but I know that place and and she was kind of molding me like clay when I went there because I was I was I'd been through a lot but I was also full of nonsense <laughs> and I needed a little bit of an ass kicking you know when you continually keep on trying to do this thing and, and life kind of at the beginning of your 20s rolls out this, this I was speaking to Peach from Pletson about this it, it rolls out this red carpet for you at your 20s and, and it's just getting this this big smack ready for you at the end of your 20s and you walk down this red carpet and you think everything's fabulous and wow in your 30s you get this big smack um, and I kept on getting it and I wasn't getting the message and I went to Marika and I, I, there were a few things that happened where I, I got it and I started realizing who I was and, and why I was going through this this pain, I guess. Mm. I think we'll get to the debut album, but I think that it's very important to understand where you are in your life mm. now. It's worth going back. So tell me about the early days of Shadow Club. How did you and Louis and Isaac meet? Did you already know each other from the scene? Um, Or was it a case of maybe you knew Isaac and then Louis came into the fold? In fact, I actually think that that's how the story goes. So um, Isaac, Airship Orange went to shit. And And then I didn't do anything musical for almost two years. I actually did some jazz singing in Santon to, to make, make a little bit of money. Yes, and that was so painful. I was doing these, these jazz standards. And it was just all these like young, rich Santon kids that would come in and, and just get wasted. And, and there I'd be, you know, belting out the autumn leaves. Um, and was the pay at least good? No, it was shocking. Oh, no, that's horrendous. No. <laughs> I think I actually I got so drunk there one night that I climbed into the ceiling in the, in the bathrooms just to explore it. Um, so you can kind of gauge by that story my you know my mental state at the time. I was just very sad that I wasn't in a band. And so I split up uh, with my partner at the time and I got this job at the Daily Sun and I was making a little bit of money and you worked at the Daily Sun I did I did graphic design for them I tried to do graphic design I mainly suffered through horrendous hangovers on a daily basis there and until I eventually just walked out but so um, so when when the papers ended up being a bit skew (laughs) <laughs> and you were like, mm. well, I had this supervisor that I must actually just apologize to. I'll take this opportunity. He's probably never going to hear this in his life. But <laughs> you never know. John, you never know. Out there, you know. 
Um, uh, yeah, it must have been a pretty... Look, I did some good work as well. I handled the Central Sports Soccer page and I did one or two articles, feature articles, you know, the, on the Tokoloshi has been discovered here or there and uh, oh woman God. flies into a chimney on a loaf of bread. Um, <laughs> and that was exciting. It was, it was fun. It was, it was cool. Um, but I was, I was not ready to hold down a desk job. Let me tell you now, uh, my head was, my head was on the stage. I felt at home on stage. Um, and I was staying in a Stefan Nordier who runs the, the Lake magazine. He had this like outside garden I think it was like a maid's quarters. Um, so it was a room with this makeshift shower and a toilet, and that's where mm-hmm. I was living. And and then I bumped into a guy called Alex Hing, and he was the, the bassist, and we were the founders of, of Shadow Club along with Isaac, because I was like, we've got to get Isaac on board. He was the drummer from Airship Orange. And we we had this, this big, like, meeting at... Um, Ugh, that little coffee shop on the corner in Melville, the, the 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 place where I think mainly older people go, so that it was like the soberest corner of Melville, <laughs> uh, which is interesting. You know, the Chatter Club, the the sort of the initiation of the 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 initial meeting was was there because goodness gracious me, there was nothing sober about it, especially in the in the early days. Um, and then uh, Alex Hing left of his own accord, and and then we had a bassist called Lyle, um, and he also left of his own accord. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Um, you know, he, I think he wanted to go straight edge and, and that just wasn't going to happen. We, we played at Opie Copy, one of, one of the shows that, that got our name out there, actually, I think Albert Frost saw it. It was at 1 PM in the afternoon and people saw this thing, this, this performance and they were like, okay. And, and, and that was really, okay. Shadow clubs. Yeah. And people started talking about it. And unfortunately, um, Lyle left right after that. And I just, I just thought to myself well we can't stop here we've we've got to make a plan and so um i think isaac was also kind of on his way out he he didn't know how to deal with the whole the whole thing but then i got talking to him again and and thank god you know isaac's always been extremely supportive he's always seen something in me and i've always seen something in him and Mm -hmm. we've been through a hell of a lot together and then we, um, I said, let's get let's get Louis on board, and we auditioned Louis at at a space that we'd been rehearsing in in Parkhurst. There's a little church there, um, and a guy called Arlen Colwick had a studio there, and we we auditioned Louis. He came through in in these salmon red skinny jeans. And I was like, no to the jeans, but yes to the yes to the playing because he he pretty much rehearsed the the material, at, you know, to to a live standard level. So we were like, come on board, and that was that. You know, the rest is history. I mean, let's talk about Guns and Money days, mm. which was your debut album, and I think it was released like exactly ten years ago. Mm. Can you relive the energy? of the now trio shadow club in your early days like just as people were hopping on that shadow club bandwagon and like you're living your best rock and roll lives because i mean let's be honest you know you guys were you guys were proper rock and roll Mm. i'll never i will never forget i used to edit uh a 
a street press, a free street press music publication called Your LMG. And the first time my publisher sent me up to Joburg was to interview you uh, and, well, Shadow Club, and then do the uh, photo shoot with Ravi Panchia at, wow. I want to say, I want to say uh, the Bohemian. At the Bohemian, yes. That's actually mm-hmm. the, the venue that the Shadow Club played their first show at. See, there's a little bit of history. I didn't yeah, even know that. Yeah. And I'll never forget, the only place that I knew was Wolves in Ilovo, mm. which <laughs> the coffee shop that used to belong yes. to Shane from Desmond and the Tutu. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I, this is the only place I know. So, you know, meet me there. Yeah. And I was late because the night before I had gone to... <laughs> Uh, somewhere in Greenside, I forget the name that Chad used to yes, own. Yes, yeah, man. And what was it bloody called? Um, I want oh, it, it. It'll come to me. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. just had way too many tequilas. Yeah. And I think I was like half an hour late. And I rocked up and I was like, this is going to be the worst interview of all time. And it ended up being so great. Like, I remember you guys were like very slick. Like, yeah. you were all, because obviously we had the photo shoot afterwards and you were all like Kissed slickly it. dressed yeah. and like like super professional i was like i can barely see straight um <laughs> like, i don't know how i'm gonna get through this next Good hour time, yeah. but you guys but you guys were just you were so lovely and like you, you yeah you were so amicable mm. but 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 what was the in like i said what was the energy like mm. of the trio in those early days so i think Personally, I know looking back on those days, I was I was extremely unpredictable. So that must have been a little bit stressful for for Isaac. Well, not a little bit. It was stressful for for the for the other guys. You know, like wondering whether like I is. was going to get up on 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 stage and be able to to handle this vibe, or you know, um, you know whether I'd crack. Um, and it was a. You know, we partied. We partied pretty hard. We had some really good times and some fairly dark times. But the, we worked hard as well because we we knew we had something, and and it was a bit of a monster, and we had to kind of like groom this thing and figure out what the hell it was. But we also had to survive and and make mm-hmm. it something that was viable. And so we toured as hard as we could. Um, and you know being in a three piece it's like a it's like a three way marriage it was it sometimes at times it was two against one um, which can be kind of difficult but it was also so much fun we've been through so much the three of us and i just remember laughing with with those guys just like and i miss it so much I, I listened to a song the other day and i just burst into tears because of all the stuff we've been through and so Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm waffling here, but, but no, no. it was driving around in Isaac's Toyota Corolla, who we called Betsy, and um, <laughs> driving six, hours, six, seven hours to, to Durban, playing a show there, finishing the show and driving back so that we could play a show the next night in Pretoria, um, and snacking on a roti from Durban for four days and handing it to to a hobo on the fourth and it oh was eating uh, wimpy at every you know second um, petrol stop that we came to um, it was lots of booze and, and wild times and um, stage diving and tussles and fights and um, 
girls and <laughs> this was just it was great lots of sweaty clubs um and i i remembered like just the, the great filth of the whole experience like playing five shows in a row in cape town driving 15 hours to port st john's and leaving port st john's after this amazing microdose trip that i've that i've managed to wrangle myself um, and just driving out of there five in the morning, the other two oaks had, had like slept nicely over, uh, you know, and I hadn't slept a wink. Um, and um, I was just covered in mud. <laughs> and oh then, my you know, God. driving back to our next show, covered in mud in God knows where it was. Um, so, yeah, we, we lived it, hey. We, we, went, we went balls to the wall. You know, while those times are like super nostalgic, and, you know, you went balls to the wall and you really like you went all out. You did you did the rock and roll thing. Mm. As you get older, those times are not sustainable. I no. can't imagine how they can be. I mean, I don't no. think that the Rolling Stones do nearly as many drugs no. as they used to do when they were younger. No. But I mean, as you guys got older, you know, I, I, I we've had this conversation before, mm. but Louis's mom passed away mm. and. Isaac was having mad panic attacks mm. and you were battling an, uh, an addiction. Mm. But what was the turning point where you guys were like, okay, we've been on the road for a very long time. We're starting to get sick of each other and we just mm. need a break. So that kind of came just after Louise's uh, marriage to Lee. Um, hey, Lee, I love you. And um, we went to Greece for, for their wedding. We, we got back and I just, I started, I'd been in talks with Sony to, to work on Chambers. Um, so career-wise, I was really wanting to do something on my own for a change. But I, it was kind of, it was really, um, I led the whole thing. You know, I sat the guys down and I just said, this is this is what I want to do, um, and yeah, it felt like a bit of a breakup, um, and it took took a while for us to to kind of to get through that whole process. But um, we were going to go to the states. We were invited to the states, and probably one of the biggest career mistakes I made was 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 taking a break then because you, you never know what what would have happened there. Mm -hmm. um, but also something that needed to happen. It was something that needed to happen because from that, uh, you know, minus all the, the crazy shit that went on right after that in, in my life and probably in our lives consecutively, Louis now got some amazing businesses. He's got the whole Pablo franchise. Um, mm -hmm. Isaac has met, uh, met Gab Gabriella Weinstein, amazing photographer in Cape Town. They've got this this beautiful child together, um, and I met Nikki, and and um, we got a dog the other day, and we're going to get married, and it's it's wonderful, and and I've I managed to write Big Green Mumba Dream because I missed them so much because when you when you don't have what you got, you know what you had, then you realize what you had, and mm -hmm. God, I, I realized what I had, and I just remember messaging them, just. Um, just out of desperation for us to do something again and just to to get those days back and you don't realize that you've you know 
age is a thing and, and life has happened and people change and, and it's just amazing that we could get back together and and record the big green mamba dream and who knows what what will come after you know the the energy around the release and the touring of big green mamba dream was very unlike anything that i'd experienced from shadow club before like mm. you were you were a bit you were a bit more comfortable and a bit more steadfast mm. Mm. in who you are as people and it was so funny when i when i interviewed you at pablo house for mm -hmm. the comeback tour. Yeah. And then Louis said, we're also slower. Like if you listen to the tracks. Yes. <laughs> like I was not, going to say that. Yeah. The tracks are not as manic as mm. they are on the first album. Like mm. we've settled into a groove if you listen to the tempo. And I was like, that's so true. I completely, I completely like missed that. A lot of the songs on, on um, Guns and Money and some of them in um, Goodbye Wild Child are played at a speed that's just like too fast so that was just too fast and i think it 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 speaks of the um the anxiety that we all shared <laughs> mm -hmm. in in shadow club there was this anxiousness and it was it was highly energetic and i think that's what would come out at these live shows but in studio and i think especially with the second album goodbye wild child we had to live up to something um but if i listen to both those albums like my the i can listen to to a few tracks on on goodbye wild child and um guns and money they're not my favorite i'd say the big green Mum mumba dream is, is right up there but a lot of those tracks are just way too fast. We would just we played them at a, at a, at a tempo that was way too high, um, and yeah, perhaps it did take the the break to to get into our groove eventually. And then I think that also laid the foundation and set the scene really nicely for the construction and the writing of the Great Mariko Redemption as well, because mm. it's like. You came back with Shadow Club and like you said, who knows what's going to happen in the future, if there's going to be another EP or album or, you know, what you guys decide yeah. to do. Mm. But at least you could tie up loose ends in a mm. way and make sure that before you embarked upon your new chapter with your solo career, that everything was good. Yeah, yeah, you know, I think we've been through so much that we're always going to be connected at the soul. You know, we we are we are ancient friends from from times past, I believe. You know, we're we're family now, at least in any case, and um, we'll always be very very close. We'll always have each other's backs, um, and we'll always have that experience that that connects us. So the great Mariko redemption. I don't, it's no small secret that I love the album. I think it's great. Thank you I so have much. Been, That's a huge compliment. Have, but I've been preaching the gospel of this album since it dropped in March, really. Amazing, wow. And the way that you teased the songs in the lead up to the drop, I thought was brilliant. Awesome. I thought the singles that you chose, like Into the Rain, stunning. Like I love, I love that the wailing guitar that you know you do so well. 
Um, and I just think that everything about the album drop, but also the way that the album has been put together and who you've worked with, it's like one of those albums that I'm, I'm going to stick my neck out here and say that, you know, in 10 years' time, it'll be one of those albums that stands the test of time. You know, you'll look back and you'll be like, what are some of the greatest rock albums that have come out of South Africa? You know, A Kings, wow. Dutch Courage, mm. um, Shadow Clubs, Guns and Money, and this album. I think that, like, Absolutely. that is how good it is. But Merci. talk to me a little bit about the the writing of it. Was it done pre-COVID or were you still working on it when we hit uh, no. lockdown? And I ask that question specifically because all of the musicians that I've spoken to that have written music during the lockdown, it has in some way affected the music that they've made, mm. even if they tried to have it not no this was all written pre-covid so there's not oh, okay. there's not there's no um influence uh through covid i do remember however sitting at the studio while we were recording it and saying to barry burke um who recorded the album at get fats um what is it it's uh, the base station in in parkhurst and saying to him um that i'd just seen this news report on this this um thing that's going around in china and I said to him, mark my words, it's coming here. You're going to see. <laughs> Jeez, and I wish I hadn't said that. <laughs> um, it's all your fault, yeah. Chuck. There we go. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite track of the album is Wild Wind. Oh, I love uh, Wild Wind. It's, it's actually uh, one of my favorites too. And it features Shark from Mr. Cat and the Jackal, am I right? It does, yeah. So he he was one of three people that professionally plays the saw in this country. Phenomenal. Yeah, and very, very good. Very, very, very well done. Like an amazing job that he did very quickly as well. Does he play the saw like a like a violin? I'm I'm yes. so, assuming with a bow. Yeah, so you use a bow and then you place the the headstock of the saw on um, saw on your lap and then you um, use your left hand to to kind of bend the saw and then you your right hand obviously uses the bow and that's how you get that sound. And that sort of like eerie, like I'm not even going to try and no. In yeah. fact, let's edit that out. <laughs> Whatever I just did, let's edit that up. We did not. Um, <laughs> um, but Please it sounds like, yeah. Um, yeah, they probably will. Yeah. Um, it sounds like the wind, you know, it's meant yes. to sound like this creepy yes, wind yeah. blowing through the yeah, trees. Yeah, yeah. But even though it's very beautiful, it's also got a little bit of a somber edge to it. Talk to me about that song a little bit. Gosh, so... Um the first time I heard the saw actually coincidentally was in Kurt Mariko at this little, uh, they have this busman weekend there. And I think the priest at the church there was like a genius saw player. And it was yeah quite an experience seeing this guy perform when I was uh, much younger. Um, anyway, so the song uh, um, is actually about death and coming to terms with death. Um and, and realizing one's own mortality, but but being okay with that. Um, what happened was um, 
my fiance Nikki has uh, this beautiful little daughter called uh, Violet, who's now become my daughter, um, and whose father passed away two years ago in November. He was going to come and fetch Violet for for their weekend together, and he unfortunately passed away. And um, so we went through this thing, and and you get the message. Um, and Nikki got this message at five in the morning, and I heard it, and I was like, okay, well, this is going to be a thing, but I had no idea how big a thing it was going to be just for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and apart from it uh, drawing Violet and I very close together and, and bringing us together as a family unit, you know, when I said that we've been through some stuff, that this is one of the things that we we went through as a family. And um, it brought us closer together, but it, it was also – um, I had to reckon with death. I had to look it in the face, and um, and my response was to write "Wild Wind," um, and it was almost—it's almost like a, a a very light acceptance of what may come, um, and just the light walking away from from the the physical realm that we we li- we live in, you know. Are there any other songs of the album that hold a special place in your heart for whatever reason? Sure. Uh, Northwest of here is is an ode to the road I I walked um, between Marika and a a place called Skainsdrift. Um, I lived on a a farm in in Skainsdrift where they've got this rural development program uh, where a lot of German students um, stay and they, they work there. And it was nice for me because I, I could, you know, hang out with kids my age that were from from overseas, and um, and that that influenced my 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 writing as, as you know when I was much younger. So that that's that holds a lot of weight for me. Northwest of here, um, hard rain is about my my divorce and the feeling of of loss that came from that. Uh, not hard rain. I'm um, into the rain. Into the rain. Yes. Hard rain is also kind of an ode to 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 the bridge in, in Hurt Mariko and to to the the tough time I had there in my you know my youth. Um I guess they all have their own their own, you know, connection. But but yeah, those are definitely songs that are that are very, very close to me. And what would you ultimately want somebody who listens to this album to take away from it? I guess everyone can relate to going back home. I was speaking about this to 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 Jamie Taylor, who's who's hopefully going to be doing a, a music video for for Tearide Moon. I want people to <clears throat> to listen to it and relate to it in in their own way, whether it's going back to a place in their youth, in their in their memory, uh, or actually physically going back to to their their homes, in you know their childhood homes, or it's it's kind of a coming back to oneself as well. So I want people to listen to it and to look within themselves, but to also look to the people around them that that matter most, and to recognize that, and to recognize the effect that the homes and the families and the friends and people that we have in our lives have on us and to 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 have gratitude for that 
and to feel the warmth of that and to feel the warmth of, of life in all its glory in, in, in its dark and light um, and with all its various facets. I couldn't have asked for a better answer. But Jacques, I just wanted to say thank you very much for joining me today on Text Talks. It's such you, a pleasure. You are such a special human being and I'm very, I'm very lucky to call you my friend and I'm very happy that we could do this me finally I'm so, sit down so you and I beyond beyond so so happy <laughs> and I wish you all the luck for the rest of the promotion of the album thank you so much thank you so much for having me on text talks I love you so much and let's own this shit <laughs> <laughs>
to Jacques Moulman for joining us in studio. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Text Talks. Be sure to check out texttalks.com for more episodes. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or listen to Text Talks on all good streaming platforms. Also, a huge shout out to Tom's, the only music store, for being the most incredible technical supplier. From myself, Tex, our producers, Jonathan Engs and Matthew Lewitz, and our research assistant, Al Clapper, catch you on the flip side.